0: Father, I'm almost at a loss for words that we could ever contemplate coming into your presence, coming to worship for any kind of selfish motive that we could ever dare even think of coming to you with our own agenda or wanting something out of it, thinking that you owe us something, but we do. That's constantly what we do. We come to you when we have a problem or when we want something and then we get what we want, we get the problem fixed and we move on and we act like you aren't there. God, by whatever means necessary, change that tendency in us. Change that, that pattern that habit that we have of only coming to you when it's convenient or when we need something. Make our lives be absolutely saturated with your word and the act of going to you in questions, but also in thanks in every situation. Teach us this morning more about yourself so that we may better understand who you are and our need for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Simple Church. We're so thankful that you could be here with us. Um, we have been going through the book of Romans. We've covered chapter 4 last week. We're going to cover chapter 5 today. Um, and so if you were here with us last week, last week, um, Paul had been talking about this justification through faith and not through works. And last week he gave, um, a key example of that in Abraham, who the Jews would have known very well. He was the, the father of, of their very religion. And he also gave a small example of, of David as well, but he mainly focused on Abraham. And, um, he went back to Genesis 15 verse 6 where it says that abraham believed referring to the promises of god and that was counted to him as righteousness it was not anything that he did it was not him somehow upholding his um his part of the 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 deal the promise but rather it was he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness and so today paul is continuing into that and showing us exactly what this justification through faith does for us. And so we're going to read Romans 5. I encourage you to please have your Bibles out so that you can read along. Starting in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him by the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, Let's pray. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great hope and the truth that it brings to us. How it utterly changes our lives in every single way. I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to understand your word. That you will open our ears so we will hear it clearly. That you will Use these words, not as my words, but as yours to encourage and to grow and to build endurance and character in your people. I pray that you will forgive us of every way that we fail you. And we pray these things in your name, amen. So I read today's today's chapter and I, I kind of started thinking about something. I became interested in. So I kind of uh, did a little... A little research. Um, in 2014, the Pew Research Center did an American Religious Landscape Study. Um, they took 35,071 people from across the United States, from all 50 states, and they asked them specific religious questions. And they started very basic, just asking them if they were religious, if they were, uh, what religion they belonged to, if they were um, Christian, what denomination they might belong to. And out of those 35,071 people, 25,048 of them um, claim to be religious and to belong to a denomination that is traditionally considered Christian. So that's kind of the pool we're working with in these statistics, right over 25,000. And they asked them a bunch of questions. I think it was a little over 30 questions. And one of the questions that they asked them was how often do you feel spiritual peace or spiritual well-being? And the answers they could give were at least once a week, once or twice a month, several times a year, or seldom slash never. 65% of them said at least once a week sounds like a pretty good number. It's almost two-thirds. Then 14% said once or twice a month. 9% said several times a year and 10% said seldom slash never. On a surface level, that might sound like a really good statistic. I mean, that's two-thirds. that said at least once a week. And I, I bet if you were to somehow study every Christian in the United States, the statistics wouldn't change much. And I would imagine if you could somehow study all Christians around the world. And in 2015, it was estimated that there are around 2.4 billion Christians in the world or people who claim to be Christian. And I bet if you were to somehow study all of those, the statistics wouldn't change much there either. And so two thirds sounds like a pretty good number. But then I got to thinking, you know, I don't know if Christ died to give us peace so that two-thirds of us could feel it occasionally. What's the problem? We're going to talk about that today. So starting in verse 1, we're going to see um, Paul kind of stacks a lot of things. In this chapter, and and we'll see what I mean by that in just a minute, but we're also going to focus on a lot of of definitions today. I think that's important. Some of these we've already covered, um, but we're going to go over them again. And so verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Now the word justification means to be declared righteous or in a more literal sense to be acquitted of something. Okay, and it says that because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace is another word that I hope stuck out to you. And I want us to have a very literal definition of peace. If you were to look it up, probably on your phones right now, um, there would be be at least for me, there were two definitions that immediately came up. And the first one is kind of what I was thinking, and it is freedom from disturbance or tranquility. But then there was a second one that kind of caught my eye, it really interested me, and it was a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. I want you to think about the Matthew 13 that Marley read during our introduction. And how it talks about how it's a a parable of the, the farmer, the master, who sowed his seed. And then that night, while they were sleeping, the enemy comes in and he pretty much tried to kill it. He just plants weeds. And at the very beginning of that parable, it talks about how that is a parable of the church, of God's kingdom. How the enemy is not just going after anybody. He's going after us. We are at war every single day. And I can guarantee you, most of you, if not all of you, and I know I do, feel like I'm at war every day. And so this definition, a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended, almost like maybe a war has already been won. That's what I thought of here. We get to verse two and it says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have obtained access. We now have a pathway by faith into grace that we did not have before. If we have now obtained it, you cannot obtain something if you've always had it. That's an active verb. Something is happening. There's a change being made. And so we have obtained access by faith into grace. And we've talked about before how grace means unmerited or undeserved, unearned favor. But a lot of times in scripture, when it talks about that, it talks about a specific kind of undeserved or unmerited favor. And that is supernatural assistance. And we use it this way all the time. I don't know if we realize it, but I mean, think about how many times in your life you've been talking to somebody and you've said something like, well, I didn't know if I could do this, but through the grace of God, it happened, or I was able to make it through. You're talking about through God's supernatural assistance, you were able to make it through a situation And so that's what this is saying. It's saying through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We are able to stand through this supernatural assistance and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have a hope that although we fall short of the glory of God now, we will one day share in his glory. Not that we will be a God like him, not that we will ever have the knowledge or the power that he has, but that one day we will be able to worship him in a perfect place with perfect bodies for eternity and we will share in the benefits of his glory in his presence. We have that hope. And so he's now stacking these things that we have. We have peace through justification by faith. We have grace that we have obtained access to by faith. And then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't do very good at rejoicing in my suffering. I really tell myself that I need to, and I try, and then I stub my toe and it's over. I mean, for about 15 seconds, things will come out of my mouth that haven't come out of my mouth in a long time, and then I catch myself, and now I feel like garbage, and my whole day is just ruined because I stubbed my toe on the coffee table. I'm not going to say that happened yesterday, but it happened yesterday. Okay. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Think about someone who's training for a marathon. Now, there are people who run marathons because they like running. They want to try to improve themselves and see what their time is. And that's great. That's much more than I will ever do. But then there are people who run marathons to win marathons. Like These are the people, they're out there. If you're like that, no offense to you. I have a lot of respect for you. I just don't understand. But think about how they prepare for a marathon, okay? They put themselves through torture in training for months. But that produces endurance. It produces the ability to be able to run faster for a longer distance or or a longer period of time. It produces endurance. And then endurance produces character. Now, the Greek word for character literally means proof. And some of the original or the the more original English translations of the Bible, it would have said endurance produces proven character. So what this endurance does is that when you go through the real thing, when you're not just training, but when you're in the marathon, if you have trained and you have gone through, in this case, The suffering that you are supposed to go through, your character will be proven in that in the real trial, you will see improvement. You will see that your time is faster, that you can run faster for longer. And this in itself produces hope. It produces joy for what is to come, for the next trials that are coming, for the end of the trials. But like anything, there's always something that could happen. You can always tweak that hamstring, right? You can always roll an ankle. But not with this, verse 5. And hope, this hope, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Who has been given to us. Yeah. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we have the Holy Spirit now, if it's been given to us and we have him now, do not think of this as taking a bucket and dumping it out. Think of this as a a running faucet that continues to pour constantly. His love is abundantly being poured out to his children, to us at every moment. And so we see this this stacking. All of these things that we have, we have been justified by faith, which produces peace. We also have grace by faith. We are able to rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Through our suffering, we have endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And then we have God's love that comes through the Holy Spirit who is always with us. We have all of these things. And then I read this and I looked up those statistics and I started thinking about myself. And I kind of thought, then why am I so discouraged all the time? Why am I so anxious all the time? Why am I so quick to find something to be discontented about? to nitpick at every little thing. And even when good happens, I can't even find joy in that because I'm sitting around going, okay, well, it won't be good forever. W- what, what are we not getting? And I guarantee you, it's not just me. I'm not special in any way. We're all like that. We just, we can't enjoy life for being miserable. <laughs> And I think Paul is going to help us recognize why. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about this picture. When we sin, that is disobedience towards God. That is an offense and an attack at a holy God who has every right to pour out his infinite wrath and judgment on us. But instead, while we were attacking him, his son stepped in front of his just wrath and said, "No, I'll take it." He didn't do that once we came to him and said, "Okay, I know I've I've been doing wrong." He didn't do that because we're good. He did that while we were still sinners. We wouldn't do that for anybody. We're the reason Christ had to go to the cross. We're not good. We're the ungodly. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. What this says is not only do we not have a reason to fear God anymore, to be scared of God because we have or we had every reason to be scared. We had every reason to be like Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, hiding from the voice of God. We deserve to be in that place every day of our life. But instead, not only has that reason been stripped from us, but it has been replaced with a reason to rejoice because we are now put back together with God. We are reconciled with God. We haven't just been brought back to even We're far and beyond through the work of Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It only took one. We love to say things, and I've said it before, like if I were the one in the garden... I would have sinned too. You would have sinned. We all would have sinned because it's this sin nature that we have. Any opportunity we get, we are going to try to replace God with ourselves. That's our nature. It's our sin nature. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Remember, we, we talked last week actually in verse 15 where for it says, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And we brought it back to this idea of if there had been no rules, if there had been no law, then God could not righteously hold us condemned for anything because if there's no rules, there's nothing for us to disobey. But what he's saying here is that even though there wasn't a written law, sin was still in the world. How is that the case? Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Death reigned through sin from Adam to Moses. Remember, the law didn't come till Moses, the written law, But death still reigned, meaning sin was still there and therefore meaning the law was still there because it was written on their hearts. Remember in Romans 1 verses 20 through 21 and then chapter 2 verses 15 through 16 where we talked about how the ungodly, God was evident to them even though they didn't have the written law both through nature and in their hearts. The law was written on their hearts. Well, we have now established that we're the ungodly too. So the law has always been written on our hearts. It was written on the hearts of of everyone from Adam to Moses. But then it says, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now Adam, and there's some other specific instances of this from Adam to Moses, but specifically talking about Adam. Adam was given a command from the mouth of God. He was told in, in, I believe it's Genesis 2, 17 Do not eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of anything else, but not this one. Came directly from the mouth of God, and yet he disobeyed that. So what he's saying is that you can't make an excuse that because God talked to Adam, he's guilty. But God didn't talk to them, so they're not guilty. No, they're still guilty. We're all guilty. Then it says, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was the firstborn of humanity. It, all of the rest of humanity came through and from Adam, but he was a type of the one that was to come because Christ, who is the one that was to come, is the firstborn of creation. Not that he was created like Adam was, but that all of creation came through and from him. Adam is an imperfect Firstborn representation of the perfect firstborn of of creation, Christ. Christ is the greater Adam. We see instances of this all throughout the Old Testament. Christ is the greater Abraham. Christ is the greater David, the greater Isaiah and Jeremiah. But when talking about Adam, here's what that means when when talking about how he is the the better Adam, the greater Adam. Adam. Verses 15 through 19. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I hope again, you see this stacking that Paul's doing because here's what he's saying. Because Christ is greater, Adam may have produced death, but Christ produced grace that overcomes death. In verse 16, because Adam's sin brought condemnation for all, or although Adam's sin brought condemnation for all, Christ brought justification that is greater than that condemnation. In verse 17, because of Adam, death reigned, but because of Christ, who has already defeated death 2,000 years ago on the cross, we will one day reign with him free of death and sin. Verse 18, although one act of Adam led to wrath and judgment, one greater act of Christ led to freedom from wrath and judgment. And in verse 19, Adam's disobedience separated us from God, but Christ's even greater obedience restores us to the Father. Christ is the greater Adam. He did what Adam could not do. He overcame everything that Adam and set into place and we have continued. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. We talked last week about how the law is meant to be a mirror that is to show us both the character of God and the state that we're in. It's to show us how dirty we are, how much we fall short. It's not to be followed perfectly. It's to show us how we can't follow it. But so many times we look in the mirror, so to speak, and we see ourselves... And that's where we stop. We hang our head and we're done. We look at the law and we see how short we are. We see the sin in our life. We see suffering in the world. We see racism. We see a political whirlwind. We see family members dying. We see a pandemic that's covering the face of the planet. We see our own temptations that we fight every day and every day we fail to fight off and we, we, we give into. to. We see the gap between us and Christ and we're just defeated. We stop here. And so we live our lives anxious and discontented and always finding something to have a problem with. But keep reading. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned, that's past tense, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign right now through righteousness leading to eternal life in the future through Jesus Christ, our Lord. what Paul is getting at is to not stop there. Keep looking. See the Christ who did what you and I could not do. Look at Christ who suffered and endured what we could never endure so that now we can suffer whatever we go through and we can endure to the end, that we have a hope that we can rejoice in. See the Christ who took the judgment and the wrath that we deserve. That should have been us on the cross, every one of us. And that should have been us who died on that cross and then stayed in the grave. But he came out so we could too. We deserve to be hiding like Adam and Eve in the garden, but instead we can live freely freely knowing that there is nothing we can do to undo the work of Christ for us. There is nothing that we can do to rip ourselves from his hands. He is worthy of our praise and honor. And if we will just keep looking, if we will keep seeking and praying and calling out, It's necessary to see our sin. It's necessary to see who we are. We have to, but we can't stop there. Christian, keep looking because you will find the one that makes everything else so unimportant. You will find the one who brings you everlasting peace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the overwhelming truth and the hope that it brings to us. Sometimes it's hard to hear and that's okay. That's good. We need to hear the hard parts, but sometimes I don't know if there's any other reaction than to just fall down in praise and worship. You have saved us from ourselves. You have saved us from the eternity that we deserved and replaced it with reconciliation, with an eternity that is going to be spent in your presence free from sin and temptation and struggle and suffering. But so often those are the things that we get caught up in. In our weakest moments, Father, give us the strength, the endurance, the character to keep looking, to see you above all else. Please forgive us again of every way that we fall short. And I pray that you would help us to see your love for us so that we may love you all the more. In your name we pray, Father, amen.